What happened to your fabulous remote control? All bells and whistles. Did I, did I fall asleep? Did I fall asleep? Say, like, I can't, there's a gap there that I can't. There's a gap that I can't remember what happened. A hundred percent fell asleep. And that's why I remember I remember chatting and then that's got some bestie that is. Full out bestie. Where are we? Okay, yeah. Alright, Bismillah Rahim Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wala Kiba Tulemutakina Wala Urdwana Illa Allah Alameen. Wassalamuallahi wassalamuhu ala ash-sharaf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha shi'la sahla Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh So I think bonus marks for everybody who attended today because it is absolutely mental outside Cats, dogs, cows, sheep, everything coming down. I don't know what's going on. Triple extra marks for mans who come from all the way like Barry. Although, although, <laughs> although, I mean, it's an upgrade in it, so, you know. Right. So, folks, today, inshallah, first of all, before I forget, uh, next week, inshallah, is going to be, yes, Amelia, this is what we keep you for. This is... One second, hold on. I thought that we banned all food, by the way. What's happened to that? What is it, first of all? Is it based upon... Oh, sugar. There's another layer underneath. There's another layer underneath. So first of all, I just want to say that for the majority of you, this is not good for you lot. And you know me, my job as a shepherd is to look for the best interests of my flock. Always, and even though they said Karele, yeah, or Karela, if we want to do the singular, yeah, Umre, I did, I did lots of Umre. So, Karele, they said Karele is like the truth, bitter at first, but always good for you in the end. So, I'm like the truth. Yeah, and it's bitter for you to accept the fact that this stuff is not good for you and therefore you shouldn't have it. However, you'll thank me in the end. You'll be grateful that I didn't expose you to chocolate orange brownies with an actual real piece, <laughs> like legit piece of the terries on top. By the way, bro, your date cake was sick. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. Bro, genuine sick. MashaAllah. Uh, can you see? I'm all about letting people see. That's legit mal in there, by the way. Proper legit mal. Arfan, I told you this is the lesson to come to. No, no, I'm a, I'm a rock. I'm a rock. I'm putting that right here. You know what it is? I banned it, but because why are we having this again? Who? Okay, so who was this? Someone fighting on who? Fatima's brother. Why? Christmas. Uh-huh. Christmas, yeah. Nice to Christmas. All right. So, 
then, because obviously, I mean, that's fair enough, it's allowed to give gifts in, in special occasions. So, as long as it doesn't become the norm of the, of the class. But I'm a rock. I'm not even going to go near it. Watch this. Okay? You watch this. Just watch until the camera ends, then we'll deal with the rest of it afterwards. <laughs> yeah? But, okay, that's not happening now, okay? I, 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 there's plenty there. Let me just make a quick hisab kitab. One second. Oh, sugar. There's some serious action underneath, by the way. I can come before you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can. You can go right back as well. There's... Um, there's <laughs> well, we know how it works, right? Lads get one piece because it's quite small. The sisters share four of them for one piece. Everybody's happy. But eight, 16, I'm not good at my eight times table, Yara. Eight, 16, 24, 32, 64. <laughs> There's about 80 pieces in there. I think everyone will get a piece, okay? All right? Is that fair enough? All right, so we'll do that afterwards. All right? And no mess in the masjid, please. This is some serious behavior, yeah? You have to come, eat over the box like this, yeah? And then you can go on your way in peace. Right, listen, people are going to get upset. First of all, London, North, Finchley, Masjid. Look at the Prophetic Guidance Facebook page throughout the week. If you're in London or surrounding areas, come down. It's going to be a nice program, okay? Uh, that's on Christmas Day itself. We're back here for New Year's. I know that some people are traveling down. So New Year's Day, we're going to be back here. And we're going to be here for a while, inshallah. Uh, no traveling or anything like that. All right. We're doing a new section today. So I want to make sure that we cover entirely the first point in some detail. Because there is a lot of detail to do, to do with it. So what we finished last week is In fact, let's read all of it. Uh, this is Sifat al-Salah. The description of the prayer, second part. That was last week. وله رد المار بين يديه وعد الآية والفتح على إمامه ولبس الثوب ولف الإمامة وقتل حية وأقرب وقمل فإن أطال الفعل عرفا من غير, من غير ضرورة ولا تفريق بطلت ولو سهوة ويباح قراءة أواخر السور وأوساطها وإذا, وإذا نابه شيء سبح رجل وصفقت امرأة ببطن كفها على ظهر الآخر الأخرى ويبسق في الصلاة عن يساره وفي المسجد في ثوبه وتسن أو وتسن which is more correct yeah, وتسن صلاته إلى سترة قائمة كمؤخرة الرحل فإن, فإن لم يجد شاخصا فإلى خط وتبطل بمرور كلب أسود بهيم فقط وله التعوض عند آية وعيد والسؤال عند آية رحمة ولو في فرد right. So all of the translation it is reprehensible, مكروه, disliked, hated whilst praying to turn 
to look up to the sky, to close one's eyes, to sit in iqa fashion, to spread one's arm on the floor during prostration, to fidget, to place one's hand on, hands on the hips, to fan oneself, to crack one's knuckles, to interlock one's fingers, to knead the toilet, to be in the presence of food he desires, to repeat the Fatiha, although it is allowed to combine surahs in the obligatory prayer, just as in the supererogatory. Those, that's what we finished last week. Those are the disliked matters. Today we start with the next subsection, the permissible matters. It is allowed to prevent someone crossing his prayer zone, to count verses, to correct the imam, to put on clothes, to wrap his turban, to kill a snake, scorpion, or louse, and louse, and or lice. If one continuously performs any such act for what is customarily considered to be a long time, unnecessarily, or without a break in the action, then the prayer is invalidated, even if the act is done forgetfully. It is allowed to recite from the end and middle of surahs. If one needs to bring attention to something, males are to say, Subhanallah, whilst women are to clap their hands using the inner palm of one hand and the outside of the other. One is allowed to spit to his left side or into his cloth if, it is, if in the mosque. It is the sunnah to pray towards an upright sutra, the size of a saddle. But if he can't find anything solid, then he uses a line. The prayer is only invalidated by being crossed by a jet black dog. He is allowed to seek refuge during verses of punishment and ask during verses of mercy, even in the obligatory prayers. All right, that's going to cover a couple of weeks, okay? A couple of weeks. It's basically allowed matters and then recommended matters and then a couple of prohibited matters. All right? Uh, or rather, not prohibited, but invalidating matters. So I want you to, uh, you know, have a little think about that. Our main focus today, though, is the issue of Raddul Mar. The word Marra, Marra, means to pass by. The Mar is the one who passes by. Okay, or the crosser, okay, whatever you want to call it. The passerby, I don't know, we're just going to call him from now on the mar, okay? The mar, because passerby is a very innocent term, isn't it? Just a passerby. And a crosser is not English, unless you're Trent Alexander, Yanni, I hate his guts, I wish he was in my team, yeah? Then that guy crosses like you've never seen anyone crossing their entire life. But we're going to use mar, all right, which means the one who will cut you in your prayer. Just take this from the top. Lots to discuss. Lots. We're going to go into a lot of detail. And when I say detail, I'm talking animals, women, haram, Mecca, blah, blah, blah. All of the issues of contention and the like. All right. First of all, very important rule. Let's have the comments, Lala. The most important, I think, actually, in this entire section is this very first sentence that Sheikh Uthameen mentions. And that is, you want to slow down, Hamza, okay? That will be a couple of lessons, not end of academic age, cheeky fish, right? So the first point is, walahu. In the Arabic, it says, walahu. And for him is the literal translation. However, this is not literal Arabic. This is not a piece of prose, but rather this is fiqh. And when the fuqaha, or when the scholars say, and for him, walahu, all right? When that is you, when that is written in a book of fiqh, in a, in a book of fiqh it means it is allowed. Walahu, and it is for him to. You know, if in, in English, if you said that to someone, yeah. Um, come on, someone give me a sentence with it is for him to. 
No, but just generally. It is for <laughs> Okay. Are you recommending that or are you obligating that upon me that it is upon me or for me to think of my sentence? Suggestion. Yes, would you agree with that? It is for him to think of his own sentence as opposed to ask for other people to help him. It is for him to. Yeah? What is that in English? Is that a command? What is it? A suggestion? Recommendation? What is it legally speaking? There's a, there's a meaning for it culturally. And then in law, we've got to give it a legal statement. So customarily speaking, in chat, it is for him to do that. What does it mean? It's up to him, choice, therefore suggestion then, yeah? So suggestion to that person, take it or leave it, right? Would we agree with that? Okay, what about legally speaking? If we had, it is for him to, open, it is for him to lock the door when he's the last to leave. It is for the one that is last to leave to lock the door, right? Let's say that was on a masjid. It is for him who is last to leave to lock the door. What, what makes it an obligation? Huh? What, what, how? Yeah, but does this statement obligate upon that person to do it if I say it is for him? In law, no? Something else. It needs something else, yeah? And likewise in fiqh. In fiqh, it is for him Lahu and alright for it is for him to do means and the base principle means that it is permissible. Not that it's recommended, not that it's being obligated. In Arabic, when the legal scholars want to make something obligatory, they say Allah or Alihi. It is upon him. Okay? And once you've said it is upon him then it has become obligatory. So similar to that, this is the problem. You see, he doubles down. I banned sweets, and so he brings triple. Rocky, yeah? You know, because I'm a rock. You know, that's the, you know, this is what I like. Not just the guy who brings sweets, but thinks about it. You know, I just want to say, by the way, that since 30 years, yeah, Rocky bars have never lost their mother. Right? Do you guys even know what Rocky Bar is? Millennials don't even know that, do you? Millennials have no idea what a Rocky Bar is. A Rocky, well, there's not even a picture of it on it. There's not even a picture on the, on the, on the thing. Okay, I'll have to show you it too. All right, because this is important. This is important. You need to know what Rocky, this is a Rocky Bar. <laughs> this is a legit chocolate bar, by the way. A legit chocolate bar with a legit piece of chocolate uh, biscuit inside. And the biscuit inside would do well on any biscuit shelf. That's the point. It's a superb biscuit with a superb layer of chocolate. And you know the great thing about Rocky? It's not a stingy bit of chocolate on top. It's like a proper solid bite. Not like some, you know, you know what I mean? It is for him to pass it around, which means you're not getting one. <laughs> which, means, which was the wrong phrase to use. So you, therefore, you learned nothing in the first five minutes. So you sit there hungry. <laughs> you sit there hungry, Lala. Right. So... Um, so ala is obligatory, lahu means an option. I just want to say that and you need to remember that because I know that I myself will forget that in the future. I need you guys to remind me when that happens. Right, so 
واللام هنا للإباحة كما هي القاعدة في أصول الفقه أن العلماء إذا عبروا باللام فهي للإباحة كما أنهم إذا عبروا بعلا فهي للوجوب فإذا قالوا عليه أن يفعل أي واجب له أن يفعل أي جائز In summary, the scholars of Usul al-Fiqh, when they use lahu, it means it is allowed for them to do it. When they use ala, then it is obligatory upon that person to do it. Raddul mar, okay, to push back or to repel the mar. This includes, this statement by the author is a general one, which means it's including animals and, or uh, uh, humans and animals, okay? And um, it means that which would uh, uh, invalidate the prayer and not invalidate the prayer. So just to kind of put a spoiler in the front, okay, we, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that black dogs invalidate the prayer if they يَمُرُّ عَلَيْكِ If they amar, if they pass by your prayer space, they immediately invalidate the prayer. However, a baby doesn't. Okay? This ruling of that you must repel the, part, the one who passes by is applying to everyone and everything. Animal, human, those humans that break your prayer, that don't break your prayer, those animals that break your prayer, that don't break your prayer, etc., etc. Okay? So, therefore, quite simple. Anyone who tries to pass into your prayer zone, then you have to stop that person. Okay? Now, according to the uh, author, it indicates that you've got the choice. That's what you started off with. That's the whole point, right? It is permissible for the person to stop this person or not stop this person. You have a choice, okay? And there's a problem with that. That's because of what the author has said. And he is going against his own madhab. The humbly madhab, his position is that it is sunnah. It is recommended to perform this actual sunnah act to put a person yani, back, all right? Why is that? Because of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu He commanded it, in fact, when فَإِذَا صَلَّ أَحْدُكُمْ إِلَى شَيْءٍ يعني, uh, If there is a person who is praying towards a sutra or something which is able to act as a focal point that clearly defines your zone فَأَرَادَ أَحَدٌ أَنْ يَتَجَاوَزَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ فَلْيَدْفَعْهُ and then someone is then wanting to come in between your hands. Bayna yadehi is translated literally as between your hands, but basically means in front of you. Okay? Then let him push him back. If the person refuses, then fight him because that person is only a shaitan. That person is indeed a devil who is insisting on going through and passing through you when you have already made it clear, one, that you've got a prayer zone, uh, that you're praying. Two, you've marked out your prayer zone because you put a sutra, and that's more for them than for you, even though you're benefiting from it as well. And three, you've already pushed that person back. So you've given them ample warning. Sorry, you might have not seen me, you might not have seen my sutra, but okay, listen. So you put your hand out, and then they refuse, and then it is to be uh, taken to the next level. Waqala Ida. This hadith, by the way, is narrated by Imam al-Bukhari in, in the book of prayer, chapter, Babu Yaruddul Musalli Man Marra Yadehi. The chapter, Imam al-Bukhari entitled this chapter, the subchapter of you, you uh, push back the, the Musalli, push back, pushes back the one who tries to pass in, uh, in front of him. Hadith number 509. The second hadith, إِذَا كَانَ أَحَدَكُمْ يُصَلِّي فَلَا يَدَعَ 
فلا يدع أحدا يمر بين يديه فإن أبا فليقاتله فإن معه القرين If one of you is praying then let not a single one of you allow another person to pass in between his hands in between him and if that person refuses then let him fight him because he has with him a qareen yani that person that human who is yani struggling to keep on trying to get past you he has a qareen with him qareen is the jinn uh, character uh, jinn uh, uh, species all right and negative one as well one which is pushing people to negativity and impermissibility and imam ahmad rahimahullah he has, as usual, on the matter, three narrated opinions from him, from his students, that it is uh, permissible, that it is sunnah, and also that it is obligatory, that it is wajib, and that is narrated in Al-Insaf. The hadith previously, by the way, is narrated by Muslim 506. So in Al-Insaf, it is narrated, Imam Ahmed said it is obligatory, and that if a person does not repel the one who is trying to cross them, then that person is sinful meaning the one who prays is sinful. And that is regardless of whether it's an animal or human or someone that breaks the prayer or doesn't break the prayer. And this is because the Prophet ﷺ said, فَلْيَدْفَعُهُ Then let him, let him uh, push him back, which is a command, okay? Which is an obligation in, uh, in fiqh, okay? So that's the, the background. And obviously, if you think about the rest of the wording, it is, it's definitely more suited towards an obligation because the Prophet ﷺ said if he refuses, then fight him. It's not allowed to fight a, a, a person, let alone a Muslim, let alone strike them, so on and so forth. Yeah? And so therefore, something, if, and we know actually that it is haram to hit another person, to hit another Muslim. So if something which is haram is being allowed, then it indicates that the action itself must be obligatory. All right? So that's important as well. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, Sabab al Muslim Fusuq wa kitaluhu kufr in the famous hadith. That to hit a Muslim is evil, is fusuq or plural of evil, yeah. Wa kitaluhu is sorry, 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 let me say that again. Sabab al Muslim Fusuq to curse the Muslim is evil and to fight him is kufr. To fight him is disbelief. Okay? That doesn't mean, this hadith, by the way, let me make it clear, that if a person fights another Muslim, that he becomes kafir. But the word here has been mentioned by consensus of the scholars to emphasize and exaggerate how important the prohibition is. That you do not physically ever touch hand upon another Muslim unless there is a necessary reason for that. Yani there's some zulm or some attack on you, etc., etc. Anyway, so therefore... Uh, a quick point here, of course, to fight means a big word. Yani you fight with a stick, a sword, you can smack someone silly, blah, blah, blah. The hadith does not mean that, yani, you know, a person, he pushes against your hand first time, the second time you, you pull out your, you know, your taser and you, you taser the guy, yeah, just, or just, you know, batter him silly, right? This is not the uh, intended uh, meaning uh, here. So... A sheikh said, kullu shay uh, So, uh, sheikh said that even, even that yani, fighting which doesn't even lead to serious kind of physical violence is haram, let alone yani, you know, in this scenario. So, it, the point is that you struggle with the person. 
you wrestle with the person, you push them back, you refuse to be, uh, you know, to be overcome. Anyway, so this person indicates that if you are allowed to violently or aggressively push a person back, then this is a, a violence. And this is someone who's attacking you. Because it's not allowed to respond except for someone who's attacking you. That's why Shaykh Uthameen says that the one who crosses between your hands is Mu'tadin. He is an aggressor and he is coming into your own personal space. Alright? You know how people would say that? Get out of my personal space. People take that stuff kind of seriously, right? Yeah. It's interesting that actually. Although obviously that's not saying that we should have the same. But certainly the prayer is an analogy to people's personal space. The problem is they want it all the time. We're happy just in salah. Anyway, um, so, uh, some of the scholars said that not only is it obligatory from the fact that yani, this person is yani, being, doing haram, that he's shaitan, that is this and that, whatever, but also because it's important for the one who's praying to not be dead in their prayer. You know, when you see, and you know, this is a, a specialist area of mine, I can proudly say. Right? I teach this a lot, I experience it a lot, and I am... And involved in a lot of scenarios like this, especially because obviously taking groups like Umrah and Hajj and understanding, you know, the rulings over there and, and so on and so forth. But one thing I will tell you is that those people who allow those to cross their prayer, the idea or the theory apparently is that they're in such an amazing zone that they're not even aware of people who cross their prayer and they're on a different plane to the rest whatever. And it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. They all look dead. I never saw, this is my own personal experience. I'm not saying Yani is this, Sheikh Uthameen is also speaking, speaking anecdotally, and I'm speaking anecdotally as well. That whenever I've seen someone let a person pray, I look at him and I, I feel sorry for him. He just looks like Yani, you know. I don't want to be, I, don't, I think all of you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, you know, I haven't seen a woman do that, but if I see a man, then, you know, there's no manness there. Like, you know what I'm saying? So. So that in this يعني, there is an honor. There's يعني, you're showing you're alive. You know, the person who suddenly يعني, says, you know, you're not getting it shows respect he, that he's got respect for his own prayer. He's got respect يعني, for who he's in standing in front of. That he's not as dead يعني, and point useless and complete pathetic as he's looking. You get my point? So there's an added benefit um, as well. So therefore. Sheikh Uthameen says that actually when you look at what Ahmed said that it's wajib, then from a aql point of view it makes sense, from a spiritual point of view it makes sense, and from the evidence, the hadith itself, it's, it also makes sense. Sheikh Uthameen wants to tone it down a bit. So he goes, it's possible that you could say, he goes that it's possible for us to meet, meet, a, ritual, uh, uh, meet a middle ground in, in ruling on how obligatory it is to stop this person. One example would be to consider who is that person who's passing by. If it belongs to the category of people or animals that do break the prayer, then it's obligatory for you to stop that category, like a black dog, for example. But if it's like, for example, a child or a normal, so if it's a male, yeah, then a normal man walking past, then by consensus of the scholars, the prayer is not, not consensus, but the majority of the scholars, the prayer is not invalidated. So therefore, accordingly, it would not be obligatory then to push this person back. Okay? So, 
Yani that's one way of, uh, uh, of looking, uh, looking at it. Sheikh says that this is the middle path between wujud, yani to say absolutely every time is obligatory, and then those people who said all the time it's just a recommended matter, very light kind of thing. And Sheikh says this is a very strong position in my opinion to say that it becomes obligatory in a super important scenario and it becomes yani, recommended in the others. So then Sheikh says, an example is if a woman passes you by. Now, for this lesson, we're going to speak only about the male and the limitation of what the Sheikh mentions because I'm going to discuss this matter in a huge amount of detail in about three or four weeks' time when it comes to the invalidators of the prayer. What I just read, for example, that says, you know, if a, a black dog passes by, then only that invalidates the prayer. I just want to let you in to why that happens because I don't think he's going to uh, mention the hadith, is he? No, he's not. The Prophet ﷺ said that the donkey, the black dog, and the woman that cross you in the prayer, then they have invalidated the prayer. That's a hadith. The hadith is from the most authentic of hadith. You would have thought the chapter is closed. Except that Aisha radiallahu anha, when she heard this hadith from another one of the companions, she became enraged. And she said, you're making the women like donkeys. You're putting us on the same uh, level. Do you know that I used to sit in front of the Prophet when he used to pray? Okay? So she challenged this hadith from another companion itself, which therefore indicates to you that the scholars differed hugely on this matter even on the actual asal hadith. We're going to investigate this hadith and its meaning then in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to continue though on the path that we're taking every meaning of this hadith or, uh, 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 for it to mean exactly literally what it means. So as Shaykh Uthameen says, if a woman was to pass you by, then it is obligatory upon you to repel her, to push her back. If a jet black dog is to, do, is to go past you, it's obligatory upon you to push it back. If a, a donkey is to go past you, obligatory upon you to uh, uh, push it back. Unlike if a man was to go by, or an animal like a, uh, a cattle, or a cow, or something like that, or a white dog, or um, a young girl who's not reached uh, puberty, then it is not obligatory upon you to push these back, rather it is sunnah only to prevent them from interrupting your prayer. And the Sheikh says, it's also possible to make a differentiation between obligatory prayer and the nafal prayer. So if the prayer is a, a fard prayer and someone is going to come and cu cut your prayer, then you must stop that person because because when you start an obligatory prayer, it is obligatory for you to finish it as well. It's not allowed for it to be cut by anything. Whereas a nafal prayer, it would not be obligatory for you to stop a person because even cutting the nafal prayer is something which is allowed to do when you start it. When you start the nafal prayer, we are cutting the nafal prayer all the time. For example, we know the hadith, if uh, you're praying nafal prayer, sunnah prayer, and your parents call you, for example. Is it more important for you to respond to your, respond to your parents, especially if they're... When I say your parents call you, I don't just mean, you know, some random, hey, how are you doing? But I mean that they are, where are you? Where are you? They're worried, stressed. They, uh, it's clear that they are in a... They need you uh, or they're concerned. 
So then, you know, you break the prayer. Uh, for example, when the jama'ah is established, okay, there's no two prayers at the same time. You've started your sunnah and then the iqamah goes and the imam started. There's no chance of you yani, catching this uh, prayer in the, you know, the, uh, completing the prayer that you've got. You need to cut your prayer. And yani, it's allowed for you to cut the, the sunnah prayer. So that's another way of differentiating between the ruling of having to stop someone or not. Okay? Um, so... That's yani, one way, another way of looking at, uh, looking at it. Um, now, I want to talk about a number of matters here, a number. But I think what I want to do is I want to let Sheikh Al-Tamin play out yani, his, his statements, okay? So he goes, let, let, look, at, look at this. He goes, um, he goes, what I just described now, that there are certain rulings for the obligatory prayer which are not the same for the sunnah prayer, this is something which you find very commonly from Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, all right? That you will see him differentiating all the time in terms of ruling. May Allah have mercy upon him. مِثْلَ هَذَا تَفْصِيلِ بَيْنَ الْقَوْلَيْنِ وَيَقُولُ هُوَ بَعْضِ قَوْلِ مَنْ يَقُولُ بِالْوَجُوبِ أَوْ مَا أَشْبَهَ ذَلِكِ So for example... Yani especially when he's trying to differentiate between obligatory and not obligatory, he goes the the, the issue of witr. So the witr prayer, in al witra wajibun alaman kana lahu wirdun fil layl. So you know uh, everybody uh, knows the issue of witr, all right? As Hanafis, uh, you're all brought up, or as Pakistanis or Desis, you're all brought up that witr is wajib, isn't it? In your niyyah that you learn, you even say, "I'm praying this three rakat witr wajib." And in actual fact, legally, this is a problematic phrase because either it's sunnah or it's either fard, right? And so wajib was conveniently a place in between for the Hanafis and they actually created an entire system behind it to, to justify a new category of ruling. Because sunnah, right? What do we, what's the definition of sunnah? Rewarded if you do it. Not sinful if you leave it. Okay? What's the next action up? Obligatory, which is? Rewarded if you do it, sinful if you don't. So then what's wajib then? So the vast majority of scholars, they said there's no difference between wajib and fard. It's the, it's the, 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 the synonyms. And that's correct, of course. Wajib in Arabic means obligatory. In the Hanafi school, they said no. They said wajib is something slightly different and a bit of a level down, which the language does not support. But rather, they, they went back and they looked at hadith and they basically said that the nature of this prayer, the way that it's been legislated, indicates that to us that it's not as obligatory as a normal obligatory act. To the extent that we are clear that it's more important than a sunnah, but it's not to the level of an obligation. They justified this by saying that the hadith that, that obligate or legislate the act of witr are not what we call mutawatir. All right? They are not absolute definite in their establishment. There is speculative, their speculation or the evidence is dhanni or that it is khabar ahad. All right? That the narrations that have established the obligatory nature of witr do not reach the number of hadith that would consider it to be mutawatir, rather they are singular twos, three, four, what we call hadith ahad, singular ahadith. 
Therefore, they're saying, we're happy to treat it like an obligation. Therefore, we will define, the Hanafis will say, we will define the witr as the one who leaves it is sinful. The one who does it is rewarded. But if you disbelieved in it, person wants to say and say, I don't believe in witr whatsoever. It's not even from this religion. He would not be a kafir. Whereas if a person stood up and said that the two fard of fajr, the one who leaves it is sinful. You must do it. And if a person stood up and said, I do not believe in the two fard of fajr, he would be a kafir by consensus of the scholars because he has rejected a fundamental part of Islam. The Hanafis will say, why do we say that he's rejected a fundamental part of Islam for the two fajr sunnah, the two fajr fard, but not for witr? They say because of the strength and number of evidences that established the act of the two raka'ah fard of fajr. And the hadith, according to them, that establishes witr is not to that same level. Therefore, the consequences can't be the same when you deny. So this is a very legal term and it confuses a lot of scholars. So the Hanafis, they got their way out like that. They basically said, listen, and you know, by the way, where's the problem? Where's the problem? Why don't we just easily just say it's a witr prayer and that's the end of it? And it's a sunnah prayer, that's the end of it. Piece of cake, yeah, and it's a good prayer to do. Because we have one hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that I am free from the person who does not pray with her. Okay? That I am free from the person who does not pray with her. Now, uh, there are different interpretations of this hadith, but some scholars said, yeah, that's exactly what it means. That person is basically not Muslim. You get what I'm trying to say? The one who leaves with her completely is not Muslim. So therefore, you find that there were two camps. The tiny minority, which is the Hanafis, and they said that it is its own category. The vast majority of the rest, they said it's a Sunnah prayer. That's the position of the Hanbalis, it's my position, it's the position of the three Madahir, it's the position of the vast majority of scholars. Ibn Taymiyyah, what, what, the reason I go into this detail is because Sheikh Islam, he was known for not being lazy like this, that it's got to be this or it's got to be that. Let me try and find a position in, in, in the middle. So he said, and I'm going to quote, he said that the witr prayer, in my opinion, is obligatory. But only upon that person who has a wird min al-layl. Wird min al-layl means that this person has a regular habit of praying in the nighttime. So for the person who has a regular habit for praying in the nighttime, it is obligatory upon that person to continue. Wird means yani, a religious habit. And normally it is either, either some dhikr or some qira'ah or some hivs or some reading a page of a book or it's a prayer or it's, yani, you know, these kind of things. It's a wird, all right? It's a regular uh, habit that, that is good, custom. إِنَّ الْوِتْرَ وَاجِبَ عَلَى مَنْ كَانَ لَهُ وِرْدٌ فِي اللَّيْلِ All right? So, and the rest of the time for everybody else, it is a sunnah. All right, so that's just the point that, that, that Ibn Taymiyyah makes. Um, anyway, question. So what did you say for people who... Uh, <coughs> sunnah. Yeah, sunnah for those people who is not a regular word habit. And that's the position of Ibn Taymiyyah. As tahajjud, yeah. Yeah, exactly, 
Exactly. This is the kind of people who are doing deen right, doing what the Prophet ﷺ always used to do, and therefore they should maintain its obligatory nature. It's important to remember that even it being seen in its lesser sense is still seen as a sunnah, something that's got to be done. But if a person didn't do it, then okay, he's not going to be sinful. That's the minimum level. Let's not think that the minimum level is just permission. The minimum that is that it's a high sunnah. Okay? And of course, by the way, Ibn Taymiyyah also, also, you see, the good thing about Ibn Taymiyyah is like the Hanafi school, if they make a statement, they're going to create a system, they're going to maintain, they're going to maintain consistency, right? To follow up after it. So what happens then if you miss the witr? Huh? What happens if you miss the witr? According to the majority of scholars, you've got to make it up, right? Yeah, you've got to make it up and that's it. According to those that, uh, there are some scholars that say it's a sunnah, there's no making up a sunnah, you don't do it. The majority, they say you've got to make it up. The ones who said it's obligatory, they said you obviously make it up. Those who said it's a sunnah, but it's an important one, obviously make it up because we make up the two fajr sunnah if we miss those. So there's a, a bit of a qiyas there. What did Ibn Taymiyyah say? Anyone know? Okay. Going back to his argument on the salah, yeah. But if you got up late and you then uh, then that's your time and you pray again. Okay, so basically the conclusion is that you're saying he doesn't make it up if it's not a something that he prays. All right. Yeah, that's that's possible actually from a logical point. It's not his position, but it is possible from the logic, as you said. Yeah. Anybody know? Yep. As a, as a what? Make it up. Make it up as a what? As a witter? Yeah. Yep. Because? That's right. That's right. Ibn Taymiyyah said that once the witter is gone, it's gone. And the witter is the prayer of the night. And the witter is the habit of the people who do it. Therefore, the person who misses witter, they make up an even. So he is... Yeah, I don't know of any other scholar. I mean, that's because I haven't read up enough on it but I can't remember off the top of my head who preceded him in this position but it is famously his position that when you miss witr then you pray shafa the next when you miss the odd you make it up as an even you make it up as an even by the way he has some kind of precedent from the sunnah the prophet when he would miss the night prayer he would increase his duha prayer he would definitely make up in a duha prayer. It's possible that Ibn Taymiyyah is basically saying that the duha prayer, it being eight raka'ah and so on, okay, those number of raka'at uh, is coming from the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, when he, that one time when he missed the night prayer, in the after sunrise, he then prayed a number of raka'at which were even. We didn't see him pray with her. So this is where Ibn Taymiyyah is bringing his kind of idea from. But anyway, I don't want to get lost in that. We'll come back to that in its right time. With is not the section now. Anyway, Sheikh says... كيف نعتذر عن الكلام المؤلف حيث إن ظاهره إن ظاهره الإباحة مع ورود السنة بالأمر به؟ How then can we يعني explain and uh, and apologize for يعني or excuse our author for saying that it's something which is allowed when it's clear that it is more than that it is either a sunnah or obligatory and uh, the sheikh says because uh, actually we can understand it a different way he goes that um, it's just like it's like uh, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, uh, in Surah Al-Ma'idah when he says to the people uh, after they come out of ihram فَاسْطَادُوا yeah? Allah says فَاسْطَادُوا فَاسْطَادُوا 
means hunt. It's an obligatory command to go and hunt. Yeah? And this word hunt does not mean, even though it's obligatory, the, the linguistic meaning is obligatory, it doesn't mean that everybody now, after they come back out from Hajj, has to all go out and hunt. But it's indicating that after it was made prohibited in Ihram, it's now allowed again. Alright? This is the way that the speech is, yeah? So, um, and I, we've got many examples in normal speech of that. That after something which has been prohibited, you indicate the obligatory, uh, the opposite, but obviously you only mean you've got a choice. Alright? And so basically what the Sheikh is trying to say is that maybe he said it is allowed to do it because in principle to move in the prayer is something which is makru. We've covered that already, haven't we? In the same paragraph. To turn in the prayer is makru. To do many movements is makruh. And so therefore he's trying to give it kind of the minimum kind of ruling to protect the whole concept of uh, uh, disliked matters. To not kind of suddenly cancel out what he's been focusing on in the same paragraph, which is talking about the movement uh, in the prayer. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, but anyway, the point is, is that in my, posi- in my opinion, the class position is that to... Uh, um, uh, uh, in, my, in, in, my, in the class position The stopping of a person To cross your prayer Is absolutely obligatory For that, who's go- for that person Who's going to break your prayer There's no doubt about that And it is sunnah To stop everybody else Okay stop, It's sunnah to stop everybody else By that I mean to say That a person should still do it And they shouldn't give up on it But if that person was insisting then your prayer is safe and you're not sinful. Yes. That's what we're coming to now. Okay, we're going to come to now what's the area, what's the situation, and so on and so forth. I want to just mention a couple of things before I get to that. Firstly, is it the same for um, animals? Is it the same for people? Is it the same for children? What do you think? The ruling. Just sunnah. Forget the obligatory side of it. The answer is yes. There's no evidence to differentiate between allowing the babies to crawl and to allow animals to crawl and so on and so forth. Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti said that there are three uh, ways that a person must reject or repel a person who is uh, a non-normal person from coming. So the idea is, is that if it's a human or a big animal, then the hand should do it. So Sheikh was saying that normal humans, normal people, you stick out the hand, it's job done. If it's a cow, for example, or a donkey, same thing. If a cow or donkey comes, and you've got to remember as well, that prayer is done in open areas, free-flowing, there's not enough money to pay for walls and things. So that's why you see a lot of mention in this, even though that, that sounds strange. Okay. So if a cow or a donkey or a goat was to come, or a sheep, then if you were to, not a sheep, but, but a cow or whatever, then if you put your hand out, it will then turn around and it will go. All right? So these things are all to be done with the hand. And then you have three methods. Three methods that follow, which is for everything other than humans, adults, and big animals. The first is to use your hand in a position that fits it in the prayer. So for example, if it's a child, or if it's a, uh, uh, if it's a, like a, a rabbit, or it's a sheep, then you use your hand when you're in ruku'ah or when you are moving from ruqan to ruqan because there's going to be movement that's going to be involved more than just putting your hand out. 
That's the problem here. You're not allowed to move in the prayer. To justify moving in the prayer, you've got to find an excuse to move in the prayer. This is why the scholars said that from moving from rukan to rukan is the time that you make the extra movement. So for example, when you're going to ruku, you're already all over the place, so you might as well now put your hand out and then push that away. And if you're coming up from ruku, then you also push it away, etc., etc. The second position is with your foot. The uh, scholars, they mention if something is too small, the hand is not going to get to it. So if it's like, a, I don't know, uh, I, I'll use your imagination. But yeah, and you, just, you, 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 know, you, you use your foot. I'm trying to think of an example. A cat. In fact, that's exactly what they mentioned, cat. So if a cat, you kick it out the way, basically. Yeah? <laughs> or, you know, you do what you, you do. And I've got no love for cats whatsoever, so I can, I can say that easily. But those of you like your cat, then you just be gentle. And if you're just me, you just get one boot and you'll never come back again. Right. The third is to do what the sunnah is. What's the sunnah? What's the sunnah, folks? No. Wait for it to pass. That's what we're stopping. Wait for it to pass. Goodness me. The hand we've already done, yeah? We've already gone through the hand. Hmm? Anyone remember the hadith? The Prophet ﷺ was praying and a sheep was going past and he moved forward. So what you do in this third scenario, there was a wall in front of him and so what he did is that he went and he stood up against the wall and allowed the sheep to move uh, to pass behind him and then he stepped back. Muhammad Mukhtar Shankriti said that when it comes to animals and small things and the like, then these last two positions are the correct position. Yani move your foot in an inconspicuous kind of way or minimal, insignificant kind of way. Use your foot to keep anything crossing you. And if that's not the case, then you move forward and allow something to go by the behind of you. All right? So that's Yani that. Yes. Practically, what's the, what, what's the situation going on? Alright, so let's, let's take it back to the uh, beginning. The prayer is a sacred moment. And the area that a person is praying is a sacred space. Okay, in fact, let's do that and then we can come to your question. Because it's about how much is the area? What is the area? Okay, you are in the prayer itself. The Prophet ﷺ has made it incredibly important. The Prophet ﷺ said, لَوْ يَعْلَمُ الْمَارِ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ الْمُصَلِّ مَاذَا عَلَيْهِ لَكَانَ أَنْ يَقِفَ أَرْبَعِينَ خَيْرًا لَهُ مِنْ أَنْ يَمُرَّ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ So the Prophet ﷺ said, Okay, um, that if the person 
who is about to cross the mar, a person who is praying, if they knew how serious the matter was, that they had waited 40 would have been better for them as opposed to crossing that person's prayer zone. The narrator of the hadith, he says, in the, in the riwayah of this, this hadith is narrated uh, by Imam al-Bukhari. It's from the most authentic hadith. And in the most authentic versions, we do not have, the narrator forgot what the Prophet Sallallahu said, 40 what? 40 minutes? 40 seconds? Yani, if a person knew what, how serious this was, it would be better for them to wait 40 minutes, or 40 weeks, or 40 months, or 40 what? Okay? In a weaker narration, but it's still okay, that's narrated by Imam al-Bazzar, rahimahullah, he said, لَكَانَ أَنْ يَقُومَ أَرْبَعِينَ خَرِيفًا that if they knew how serious it was, it would have been better for that person to wait for 40 kharif before he actually stood in front of a person who's praying. You know what a kharif is? Um, huh? Aut- yeah, season, autumn. Yeah, kharif is autumn, 40, 40 years basically. Think about that. It would be more important, you would, if you knew how serious the issue is that you're about to do, if you knew it, you would wait where you're standing 40 years before you cut that person's prayers on. So when it comes to the issue of what we're talking about, we're talking about an incredibly sacred moment, incredibly special thing that nothing should be able to disturb. Nothing. Neither you yourself internally, and we've been speaking about that for years, how important it is to be in the zone, understanding what you're reciting. You're standing in front of Allah. So that's you protecting it from your side. And there's an external side. We have to make sure that nobody else comes and disturbs us as well. That's why the prayer is either highly recommended or obligated in the masjid. That's why it's not allowed to make announcements in the masjid, have noise in the masjid, have selling in the masjid, people chilling in the masjid. The masjid is a place that is built to make your prayer as perfect as possible. That's why the most recommended prayer in Islam after the obligatory prayers is the night prayer which is prayed when you're alone and people are sleeping and very quiet. So you have an internal help towards understanding the sacred and an external reality that you try to create by establishing the sacred. And so therefore, anyone that tries to disturb it is to be pushed and anyone who is intentionally dishonoring and disrespecting this, then it is so serious that they have to be fought and the only person that would do something like that is shaitan himself. And that's why it's so serious. So now you understand that reality. And the physical dimensions, let's quickly talk about that and then we'll talk about the rulings of the people quickly. So, Sheikh says that the scholars differed on what does Bayna Yadayhi mean? What does it mean in between his hands? What does it mean to be in front? So, Faqil, one of the positions is that it is a thalathata adhra min qadim al musalli. Three cubits. Adhra is the plural of dhara, okay, or dhara, which is the forearm. Azra is, is plural, three Azra. This, by the way, in the old days used to be called a cubit. Now, the cubit, they differed over whether it's from the elbow to the wrist or elbow to the middle finger when it's outstretched. Now, in an Islamic kind of term, this is roughly around 65, 55 centimeters. In the classic cubit phrase of the old, old school, all right, 
uh, they used to consider the, 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 the cubit not more than half a meter. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Half a meter odd is what we're talking about. Yeah? About, about 50 centimeters. So some of the scholars said that from your feet where you're standing, that you have one and a half meters, which is your prayer zone. So that's the first opinion. Okay? The second opinion, or others said, that it is, <laughs> this is a classic, okay? You see, you all hate on the uncles, yeah? The second opinion is how far you can throw a stone. <laughs> so now when you know when the uncles are going to freak out, when you cross them like that over there, 26 miles down in the masjid, that's because they're following that second position, you see? And I think that what they did, they found yani, some discus yani, guy, yani, shot put champion who's sort of thrown that stone miles, yeah? Um, and in actual fact, the scholars, they said that it can't be actually a champion, can't be an Olympic champion, and it can't be like, you know, a kid. Yeah? You know, it's amazing how the kid throws. They go like that, and somehow it goes up, and it lands backwards, which is an incredible skill, yeah, in throwing, if you think about it. Right? If, imagine if you could perfect that in bowling. Huh? No hadith. No, 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 no hadith. There's no hadith. In actual fact, here's the interesting thing. There is not a single hadith which indicates clearly what is uh, the actual distance. But you'll see why the scholars say what they say as I, as I build it up. Yeah? Um, on, uh, another opinion. Okay? Uh, uh, that the distance is that amount of distance that a person would be able to go to as a limit before they would invalidate their prayer. Right? So you know, for example, that it's allowed for a person to take one step, isn't it? To fill a line, and we said two steps as well. There's no hadith which talks about one, two steps, but we know that the Prophet ﷺ said that the best step in a hadith that a man ever took was the step to fill a row. And we know that unless you're Linford Christie, you ain't, you ain't completing no row with one step. Unless you're doing the long jump. Yes? So, it's two steps, isn't it? You need two medium-sized steps to fill a gap that fills in front of you. So basically, they said that this is what's allowed in the prayer. Anything else is considered to be proper moving. Yani if a person, for example, saw you, you know, I, I told you that whole test, you know, if you were to walk past and you saw someone take three steps in the prayer, you would not think he's praying, right? And, if there, and, the, and the ruling goes that if another person looks at you during your movement, whatever your movement is, itching, rubbing, Walking, indicating, and indicating, by the way, it gets funky out there. You know, a man came, you know that, um, uh, we've spoken about this before, but I, I, mean, I mean, you know, uh, just to remind you, that uh, when a, a person comes to give salam, okay, and you're praying, the ruling is still there, it's obligatory to respond to the salam. And there was one companion, yani, once who said, wa alaikum salam, and Ibn Umar, yani, heard him, so he stopped, and he waited for him to finish the prayer, and then he said to him, listen, next time someone does that to you, then don't say wa alaikum salam, because the prayer is prayer, you can't speak in a prayer, but, uh, but indicate with your finger. And it's well narrated from the companions that when someone would give salam, then they would just do this or indicate like this, and that fulfills the obligation. The other thing that used to happen, it was narrated from the companions, is that they would wait, and then when the salah was finished, then they would say wa alaikum salam. I, uh, on Sulfad in Fajr, when I came the other day, uh, there was a doctor who was praying in your prayer hall, uh, prayer room, and it's funny actually because 
he was praying by himself and I guessed he's probably praying sunnah and as soon as I stood up you could say that he panicked right meaning panic meaning that he wanted to make sure that I didn't start so I could join him in jama'ah so he kind of very quickly goes and, and he goes salam alaikum so he said three salams right to me to grab my attention to hey do you mind waiting we can pray together what he didn't know obviously he's on the sitting down what he didn't know is that I'm standing and I started my prayer immediately so he gave salam whilst I am very loud clear direct salam to me no one else in the prayer hall to me whilst I was praying and I didn't say anything or didn't do anything then he looks up and he realizes I'm praying he's a miskin guy he goes oh sorry sorry you know like this <laughs> like that okay and he sits there miskin and so you know just like you know anyway I finished the prayer and I finished the prayer immediately and I said wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to him he goes I'm so sorry this that whatever whatnot I didn't want to disturb you so I told him this is what happens you didn't do anything wrong actually what you did was correct and what I've done right now is also correct and then we prayed together this is an important part but sorry the point I was going to make is that these are the two well narrated positions you wait or you indicate your finger however Abdullah ibn Abbas one day was praying and a man came up to him and said salam alaikum and ibn Abbas said wa alaikum salam and he shook his hand he didn't say wa alaikum salam but shook his hand in the prayer and carried on praying now here's the thing we said before that if a person is going by and sees that would we say the prayer, the movements in the prayer have gone too far when a person sees you, snapshot, picture moment, and it looks like you're not praying. Okay? The difference with him is that no one shakes their hand while they're still maintaining their salah position. Okay? So it was literally a case of, yeah, any, uh, I don't know whether, uh, 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 it was literally a case of, and, and just shook his hand and then went back again. So anyone seeing that knows that he's still in prayer. By the way, I think it was Sheikh Walid who told me. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. And he was praying. And someone came to cross yani, him in the prayer. And he stopped him like this. And the guy shook his hand. <laughs> Honestly. That's next level. Literally just shook his hand. He thought that the guy shaking his hand. He carried straight through. <laughs> so, you know, man does that. You're not going to. You're not going to do anything higher. You're going to say, Bachara khalas, he wins. And in actual fact, I'll tell you something interesting that the Fuqaha used to discuss. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti said that if a person, the Mar, comes in front of you, basically he's suddenly there, too late, you missed him, which happens so many times, right? He's actually in front of you. The whole point, by the way, of stopping a person is that you're meant to anticipate and you get him before he enters your zone. Let's say you didn't even think he was going to do it. Because a lot of people in a busy area, they're standing on the edge. And you're thinking they're going to remain on the edge. Suddenly, they dart for it. Suddenly, you think, oh my God. Yes? So the question is now, the scholars differed. When he is in front of you, do you stop that person or not? What do you think? So he is mid-motion, stroke-stopping. But the point is that he's in that position. Why? Why let him go? Why? Of course you can. Yeah, it does become more of movement, correct. You are going to have to do a bit of a movement like that. So I'm saying to you, the order is to push that person back, right? My question, if he's there, is the order still to push him back or not? Yes. 
push him to the closest exit. Yani to the left or the right, you mean? Okay. So let's assume that the closest exit is the same, the same, the same place he came from. Yeah? Okay, so anyway, the point is, is that you do push him back, is what you're saying. Uh, who thinks that you shouldn't push him back? You shouldn't push him back. Why not? Yep. If your left hand is on your chest still or whatever, then it does. And your eyes are still down. Huh? Huh? Go on. No, no, so a person sat in front of you is not the, is not the same. No, no, the guy sitting in front of me. Yeah. So I pushed him. Yeah. Gently. Yeah. But my gentleman and your gentleman are two different. Right. And he's not flying. Yeah. He's not flying. Well. I only violate my own breath. Yeah, Yanni, what was. <laughs> Yanni, uh, so the scholars, they differed over a simple point, actually. They said, they said that, yes, you should because that's the ruling, okay? But the correct position Allah knows best, or certainly the stronger one, is that you don't. And the reason for it is not because of the movement, but what? No. Logically, true, but that's not the reason, yeah. Mm, oh, same kind. Of, you're on the right kind of track, but that's not it. No. No. If he's already there, you've gone past the point of stopping. That's yani almost. The answer is simple. It means that yani you're gonna make it happen twice. The crossing is the crossing. If you push him back, then you've made him cross backwards. Remember that crossing is not always right to left. So once you've pushed him back, then you've basically initiated another one. So you've actually added to the problem. So now if he's going, then you might as well let him go. Khalas, and you failed. That's the, that's the basic point. Right? Yeah. So let's talk about that. First of all, let's finish the, 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 the space. Yes. Yes. It's to go. The question is: Is that if person comes on the left hand side, is there a way in terms of hands which one is preferable? The answer is: Is you go with that which uses minimum movement, not about what hand, not hand. Is because clearly to do that is much more movement. So it's going to be naturally to the left left hand. Yeah. So there isn't, okay, because the hadith just says you push them back. And so it's open. Everything which is I mean, minimal, respectful. Because a lot of people just they don't know what's going on. They you know they're shocked. And you know, this doesn't need to, even though there's a violent ending, it doesn't need to start off violently, right? To carry on, in the marjalika ila urf. فَمَا كَانَ يَعُدُّ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ فَهُوَ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمَا كَانَ لَا يَعُدُّ عُرْفًا بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ فَلَيْسَ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ So the next scholarly position is that which is what the community of people would consider to be يعني what is in front of you. So I put it to you lot. 
What do you think is in front of you? And that's a personal space thing now. That's not to do with prayer. If you're talking about in front of me, if someone couldn't come and stood in front of you in a queue, or I don't know, a queue, I don't know. Like if you're walking for example, no, 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 hold on. Where's the scenario where you just suddenly gets just a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, good, good, yeah, yeah. Like you're walking on the street and someone behind you, all right? So what's too close? What's considered to be in front of you or behind you? Okay, well, that's a, let's leave that whole behind person because that's going to open up another kettle of fish. So in front of you, what do you consider to be in front of you? No, but, but you're thinking in terms of salah. I'm saying, urfan. All right, is meaning just linguistically, what do you understand by in front of you? Who's too close? Good. That's what you're going to be, yeah? You're going to be using speaking, right? If you're speaking to a person, you know when a person's way too close, right? You need them back a little bit, yeah? So that you're not right in front of me. Anyway, so the point is that it's still roughly going to be about a meter or a bit odd, isn't it, yeah? Also, they said, that your prayer zone is where your sajda is, point, and your feet. That's the only, at least got to be because that's what the Prophet ﷺ moved. So it's got to be at least that. And Sheikh says this is the closest to the positions of all the, the statements that have been said so far. This is the one which is closest to the truth. This is interesting what Shaykh Uthameen says. He goes, because no one deserves any more space than that. A person who's praying, where did he have the right to take up all this space? He only deserves the space that is what he needs for the prayer. So where he goes out in frustration, that's the space that he needs. Anything after that is not your space. Huh? No, but... <laughs> but you... <laughs> So, uh, this actually makes a lot of sense. Okay? But if there's someone and of course, this is when you don't have a sutra. And the word sutra, we said, is this object which indicates the limit of your prayer space for you, for others. And it also gives you some kind of physical kind of you know, way of being able to visualize your area. But, and if you have a sutra, then even if you put a little bit further, then your whole area between you and a sutra is a sacred area. However, it's not allowed for you to stick your sutra three meters ahead and say, this is all mine. And not only is he not allowed to do that, but also the Prophet ﷺ was close to his sutra. So it doesn't matter where you put your sutra, right? You are going to have to move to it as well. So for example, we know that the most common sutras that were used were pillars. Like today, we use pillars in a masjid, all right? And the pillars in front of you, they never used to stand at the back of the masjid and say, there's my sutra, but they would all go and stand in front of the pillar. And stand in front of the pillar means that they leave enough space to not be uncomfortable when they make sajda. So you're leaving about that much, aren't you? Yeah? This much is how much you're leaving. And that is what basically the correct position is. Your prayer zone 
is basically just a foot after your sajda point, or 15, 10, 15 centimeters. Some of them said a third of a cubit. Okay, in the books of fiqh, a third of a cubit after your place of sajda. So, um, yeah, let's, 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 that is the class position. That's the position of the majority. Let's quickly finish this off because this is becoming super long. Um, and I want to I talk about a couple of things. Uh, the, the other point is, this, the, the Sheikh said that we've not discussed whether the person has a need to go past or not. Okay? So for example, the, the door of the mosque is on the right of the musalli. Okay? And uh, yeah, and he, you know, this person here, he's blocked the entrance to the masjid. And everybody's got to come in. So what's the person going to do? So this person needs to come in. Okay, um, yeah, but the point is, this is what Sheikh says, this is, could be an example, Sheikh says, but the truth is, is that there is no difference between a person who needs to and doesn't need to, okay, and both of them are to be treated the same, he never has the right to go in front of the person who is praying, and the Prophet ﷺ said, and he repeats the hadith, if a person knew about what's happening in front of this person when they pray, he would stop there and wait for 40, and it would be better for him than to go and pass. Okay? And so therefore it's clear that, uh, you know, uh, that there can't be an exception. Next point that Sheikh says, and by the way, there is no exception. However, I just want to make it clear though, that what Sheikh is not yani, indicating is an emergency. So he's not right to say that. If there's an emergency... Then, like for example, you're in a masjid and you are standing next to the door to the bathroom and there's a person who's literally bursting. They need to go to the bathroom. Otherwise, there's going to be something which is far more worse. So this person's allowed to now cut it. Okay? But then that leads to the discussion that's most important, which is Mecca and Medina. Is it permissible to cross a person in prayer there? From what the scholar, from what our author says, he didn't differentiate between Makkah and non-Makkah. Okay? As you've seen there, he didn't say. He says it's impermissible. Uh, he said that it's a, a person's got to stop the other person uh, crossing. However, we know that the scholars of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, modern day scholars, okay, they did allow this. They said that there is a need. It's too busy. It's yani, incredibly, you know, as you know what it is, and therefore it's allowed. Now, obviously, those who know me, you know that I reject this entirely. It is the position of the majority of scholars. It's not allowed to cross a person who's praying. It's my position. It's the position of Sheikh Uthameen. It's the position that he says now. There's absolutely no doubt about it, that there's no exception for that. It's the position of Ibn Taymiyyah. It's the position of uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shanqiti. It's the position of Sheikh Dedu, our own teacher, Dedu Shanqiti. No, not permissible. And the answer is simple. Makkah was incredibly busy at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and these rules were sent down in Mecca at the time. They were not sent down in some random small mosque. It was sent down in the busiest of places, the prohibition. Therefore, it is not allowed. That's the end of it. If he's a, a policeman, you mean? Uh, whilst you are praying normal, yeah. like by yourself. Yeah. So, 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 so here's the thing, all right? Let's just now break this down, okay? The key to understand is this, is that and there is never, what we're saying is that it is never allowed or justified for a person to cut you in your prayer. That's our belief. Never. Not for a copper, not for X, not for Y. 
If there's an emergency, we'll come to that. But in basic principle, it's not allowed. And there is never a scenario, because I've lived every single possible scenario of life in the two haramain, that a person is forced to pray and put themselves in a position where they are definitely going to have to be cut. You get my point? You are always able to pray in the right place. The people who get cut in, those, uh, in the masjids are A, those who believe it's allowed and therefore they allow everyone to walk up and down and that's become the culture and now people believe it's okay. And number two, those fools who pray in the mataf. So you got the mataf of course is the area directly surrounding the Kaaba and you got people, you know, packs mostly who just basically, they just say, all right, got to pray. And they literally pray in the middle of a crowd until literally you're, he was standing, he was moving with you one second and the next second you realize he's not moving because he's actually praying. This is a person who's lost their mind. They're not praying. They've done a prohibited action and you can step on them, do what you want. You are not, you are not breaking this person's prayer or doing, because it's a haram what this person did, completely. He's, and in fact, not just haram, not just stupid, not just blah, blah, incredibly dangerous. Because that's what exactly you fall straight over. And then once one person falls, the other person falls, if it really is busy, it can become dangerous. So anyway, the point is, is that there is no exception for this unless it's an emergency. So let's now conclude with the four scenarios in which a person will fall into with respect to the prayer and the mar. The musalli and al-mar. Musalli, the one who's praying. Al-mar, the one who is crossing. The first scenario, both of them are punished. Both of them are punished. What is this one? Or what's this scenario? A person who's praying without a sutra in a place where they should be taking a sutra and yeah, and knowing that, that this is a place where you know, people are likely to walk and the person who is coming is not caring at all. So both of them are punished. Clear? The second scenario, none of them are punished. None of them are punished. The first guy, he takes a sutra. So he did everything that he is meant to do. Didn't pray in the doorway. Didn't pray at the back of the masjid. Went to the front, blah, blah, blah. The mar either didn't realize, completely forgot, or he was forced to. Like running to the toilet, dying, blah, 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 whatever it is. Completely forced. So emergency. The third scenario. The musalli is not punished, and the one who is crossing, the mar, is punished. I took my sutra. I'm protecting my scenario, but this person, he carries on and he goes. Okay? He doesn't listen, I stop him, he doesn't listen, and he cuts the prayer. And the fourth scenario, when the one Musalli is the one who's punished, and the Mar is not, and that is, I don't take a sutra, I prayed in front of an open door, I blocked the exit to the masjid, or the entrance to the masjid, and the guy had no choice but to, uh, to, 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 to come in. So here he's not punished and I'm punished. These are the four scenarios that can exist. There is no other scenarios that, that apply to a person in this uh, situation. And, um, and that's basically... Um, and uh, Sheikh says, what about a person who you try to stop him, but he pushes through? Basically stronger than you or he's, you know, he's, uh, just, you know, he runs through very, very quickly. And a lot of them do. I mean, especially in Saudi. They just like literally run. Okay? 
then there is the sin is upon them and nothing is upon you because you did what you was commanded to do and that was to يعني, to uh, repel this person. However, uh, But if this was a man, is your prayer invalidated now that he's legged it and gone? The prayer is not invalidated. Okay, what if it's a woman? I'm going to read this يعني, word for word and we'll close with this and we do the questions. Al-Zahir, from what is apparent to me, he says that the prayer is invalidated. And he must return and start the prayer again. And there's no doubt that I have a problem with this, he says. But so even Sheikh Uthameen, he comes with an issue, but it's not because he thinks that there's a problem with the woman aspects, but he has a problem with the fact that how can I have my prayer invalidated when this person ran through, I'm commanded to stop him, I did what I was commanded to do, and still my prayer is invalidated? I find that very difficult to accept. That person, Yani, is the sinner. That person takes his sin, and I am not going to have my prayer invalidated. So even, Sheikh says, even in the case of a woman, and then for by, by definition, the black dog and the X, the Y, if he tries to stop them, and he couldn't stop them, or they run through, then his prayer is not invalidated, and Allah knows best. And that's fiqh, because the hadith says it's clearly invalidated. But that shows a scholar who's understanding the import behind the hadith, and not what the actual hadith literally says. And Allah knows best. Let's take some questions. Uh, uh, here and then online because there's a lot I didn't get to really uh, look at the, what's happening online. Yeah. So uh, that's coming, okay, uh, what the sutra, the height should be. But in principle, it should be a physical, solid, proper object. And the ideal height is the height of a saddle. And a saddle is like a foot tall, <coughs> roughly a foot tall. All right, yes. Can you what? Yes, you can. It's good, in fact, to put a sutra in front of someone else. But we'll come to that, inshallah. Concerning intertwining figures, does this apply during the Friday khutbah? This tashbiq al-asabi'ah. And the scholars differed over this. Is it only in the prayer that is prohibited or in the Jum'ah prayer as well? It is, it is only in the prayer, but there are statements that have been spoken about, about the Jum'ah prayer as well. What does that... What, why? Because, in my opinion, I had a debate with Sheikh Ihlan about this recently, okay, and... He didn't convince me of his opinion. Um, I said to him that the illa is the opinion of the khatib. I said that the, my opinion has always been that all of the prohibitions of the khutbah are what can be seen by the khatib. So if the khatib sees you and he feels he's being disrespected, then this is what's prohibited. However, if you can't be seen or heard, then it's allowed to do some of these things if there's a need. Like speak, warn someone, correct someone, blah, blah, blah. Okay? My evidence for this is not direct, it's secondary. For example, when the khatib is giving the khutbah right here, we have a guy who's walking and telling people, please you go here, please you go there, please yani, you know, move forward brother. Speaking quietly, isn't he? Yeah, he's telling everyone. And the khatib doesn't bat an eyelid. He's completely comfortable that, you know what, for this whole system to work, I've got to let this guy yani, do his job, right? And so he doesn't fall into the prohibition. And the scholars are agreed 
one way or the other, however they get there, but they allow this person to do his job. Some would say, no, it's a darura, it's a must. Others would say, no, it doesn't apply because the imam has allowed him. It doesn't matter how we get there. My point is, is that it's about the thing. And my, my, my supplementary evidence is, is that it was sunnah for all the companions. We saw that when they used to go to a khutbah, they would turn into the direction of the imam. So, you know, a lot of people think that when you go to a khutbah, everyone should just sit facing that way. So, like, for example, when you see this side here, like this side, what's crazy when, we, when we're giving the khutbah here, that they're all looking down there. Like, it just looks weird. It's like, it looks like they're in, everyone's in prayer, which is, you know, why the Brillos, they actually act out the whole prayer in the khutbah. So, the first one, they put their hands like this, yeah? And then when the imam then says, you know, he, he sits down, and then he stands up, then everybody then goes to the shahud. Everyone's done that when they were young. Don't even pretend that you don't, okay? That's a proper, proper pack thing, desi behavior. And that's the, every Brillo mosque in the world. I see, this is how it's supposed to done thing. It's literally people are in like a prayer zone. And they're sitting in prayer lines. In actual fact, it's the exact opposite. Person's meant to be interacting, listening. They're meant to be making eye contact. They're meant to turn their direction and look towards the imam. So they're not meant to be looking towards the front. They're meant to turn their position. Yeah? And they're not meant to even say to another person who's next to them chatting. Because what would happen, this is my explanation, is that when the imam says, looks at you and you've turned around and you're actually saying to him, listen, shut up. As far as the khatib is yani, concerned, you're just having a chat with the guy next to you. So then he now thinks this is disrespect, blah, 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 blah. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why I wrote what I wrote about the mobile phone usage. Okay, that mobile phones in a gathering has a basis in Sharia that when you are being spoken to one way or the other, you do not in your sitting indicate that you're not interested in what's being said. Or if you want to, then you excuse yourself. You get up, you go out to another room, you excuse it. But when you're sitting with other people, it's very rude to do that. In khutbah, it could technically invalidate your position. So anyway, the idea of then what the sister Wadina says about the fingers is that if a person's doing all this behavior, you know what we used to do, isn't it, when we were young? Yani you, we'd get the carpet and we'd trace it all out, isn't it? Yeah? You would trace every design. So you'd go like that, and if, you, if it was too obvious with the fingers, then you do it with your feet. So you would just go around and this, and make all the shapes. You'd do anything, because you're bored silly. Now, if my guy giving khutbah looks down and sees that, yeah? He's going to be thinking, you know, what the fish is this? So that's the point. All right. So I don't think that the, the fingers should be intertwined or things should be done in the prayer that are indicating that you're bored or whatever. She continues and says, did I understand correctly that the Hanafis do not have tawarruk? You did hear correctly. The Hanafi school does not practice tawarruk. It does not consider it to be a sunnah position of sitting in any of the raka'at of the prayer. She says, I was taught a long time ago that the first taslim is fard and the second is sunnah. Is this correct? Yeah, and that's something which is acceptable to believe that, okay? It's acceptable to believe that the first one is a necessary requirement to exit the prayer and the second one just confirms it. That's correct. To take it a step further, I was even taught that if you say your first taslim and then afterwards break wind, then this prayer is correct. That's, uh, that is correct. That's the whole benefit of knowing this point, that if something happened, emergency, you needed to get up, after the first taslim, it will be sufficient. It will be enough for you to do that. So, uh, where are we, Lala? What to do if someone is praying in front of the exit and you need to leave? You will wait. That's what you will do. If someone is praying in front of the exit and you need to leave, then you will wait. 
because if I say to you that waiting here for 40 years is better than you cutting across, then I don't care how important you think it is. Now, if it's an emergency, you're going to cut this person anyway, and you will know what an emergency is. That's it. An emergency is an emergency. I don't need to explain that any further. But as for you getting late, then you know what? Guess what? That's what the prayer costs. That's the cost of the prayer. They shouldn't, of course. But that doesn't mean two wrongs make a right, does it? You should wait, slap that person after. No, no, that's not the same. How's a person praying in the middle of Mataf who's literally any walking with you and suddenly he's just stopped right in front of you? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously it is a case-by-case scenario. There could potentially be a scenario where in a normal mosque a person puts himself in such a stupid position that they're causing a lot of problems. But I just refuse to accept this kind of lazy approach because most people, what they'll do is that they'll put something in front of that person or they will push that person. You get what I'm trying to say? Gently, they will take that person and maneuver them. See, a lot of people, they don't, they're not aware. All right? Like I said, I get to this scenario, I see it a lot, and I correct a lot of people. So a lot of those folks who, for example, Hanafis, they don't believe it's allowed to move in the prayer. So they can genuinely make a mistake. They genuinely pray in a place where they're not thinking. Okay? And then afterwards they realize, oh my God, I'm you know, blocking people. But they think, I'm Hanafi, I can't move. You get what I'm trying to say? So, okay, he's Hanafi, but you're not. Yeah? So you take him and you just push him to the side. There's no problem for his prayer. He's going to literally, he'll stay like this. You just push him to the side or push him forward and you make that space. But you can't do that behavior in Mataf. You know what it's like in Mataf when it's a crush, yeah? Um, but you have to say you have to push back something that's small on the floor and you are standing. What do you do in the case? Use your feet as best as possible and to the level where you do not consider it excessive moving and only you are the one who's able to determine that. When it, by the way, don't, don't, this food needs to be eaten, okay? So just wait because there's a lot. All right. All right then. Okay, I'm going to... It's true, it's true. <laughs> Bro, believe me, I would have finished. When Imam Ahmed gave three stances on an issue such as this, permissible sunnah wajib, how did the people know which to take? The answer is, is that we have riwayat. The riwayat from Imam Ahmed, if you go back to the first few sessions of year one, I think we covered it in, in, in those, that in the madhab of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, the riwayat that come from him have different strengths. Okay? And in the school itself, what Ibn Qudama says is considered to be the madhab, and what others say is considered to be an, a fatwa in the madhab. So there's a huge science behind this. Okay? And that's why one of the main reasons, Sumayrawa, I do not take madhahib too seriously, and I certainly do not take the opinions of Imam Ahmed too seriously. You will know that my, mine is a very much a comparative fiqh approach. And we have some students who are very, very particular on the Hanbali school, and that's yani, good for them. And let them yani, make sure that they ensure they stick accurately to the Hanbali school. Myself, not so fussed by that. Um, when I pray, my two-year-old niece passes in front. Is this making salah invalid? No. She's not in any category of the people who make the prayer invalid. As a matter of habit, though, you should stop her so she learns the importance of the prayer, that mom and dad are praying. This is a special moment, special time, special place. If you have a mobile phone distracting you, especially if someone ringing you is flashing to prevent it from distracting you, can you turn it over? Yes. In fact, it is obligatory to turn it over. It's obligatory to turn over something which is distracting you in the prayer. If the woman is non-mahram, 
Can you touch them to push them back? Same with a white dog. Will you not become unclean if you touch saliva? Well, you're not looking there to touch the saliva, number one. You're meant, you're, as I said, with feet, you're not you know, trying to kick it in the mouth, but just push it away. And for a woman, you're not necessarily aiming to touch her. Only the Shafi'i school considered any unrestricted touch to be one which breaks the prayer or something which is impermissible. The rest of the scholars consider that if there was a necessary need of touching, then that's something which does not break the wudu, and so it's not a problem. And you don't have to have skin-to-skin -skin contact. Those, by the way, scholars that said that it is something which is impermissible, they said it's skin for skin. Okay? And that does not necessarily mean you don't have to, you know, if it's a woman, then she, her, her, her thing will be covered, right? Her arm will be covered. So you're pushing her away, then you're not touching her hand, but you'll be touching her cloth. Um, if a woman who's just finished the period has to pray her isha, qada, that she also has to pray with her as qada. In my opinion, she should as, a, as good practice. What evidence does Ibn Taymiyyah use to make the witr obligatory only? Is he using his logic? Of course, he's using his fiqh and understanding of why is it that in some hadith it says this and others in that. So if one's prayer is crossed by a valid crosser, then do you repeat the prayer? No, you do not because the prayer is not uh, invalidated. There's no repetition of the prayer. But if a invalidator, like a black dog or whatever, cuts the prayer, then you need to repeat the prayer. I've heard the witr is called sunnah mu'akkada, a strong sunnah. Where does that come from? That is the position of the vast majority of scholars. It's the sunnah and it is emphasized because of the nature of the hadith that, that talk about it. What is included in the animals that you stop? Anything. Anything and everything. Anything and everything that you are able to. Now the question is, an insect or a locust, where do you draw the line? It's not possible to stop an, in an in insect like that or a bird, for example. That's a good question, by the way. The scholars talked about a bird. And a bird is not possible to stop if it flies by. So there is some sense in it. So if there's something which is, you know, uh, uh, doable, it's doable. And if there's something which is not, then it's not. Okay? Uh, which people actually break the prayer? Only a, uh, a, a baligh, mature woman in the hadith will come to that later. Is there a distinction between those who pass intentionally or those who do not make conscious thought as to how many times you need to stop them crossing. For example, I could try many times to keep my cat out of the way of the sutra with my foot or arm, etc. Or even set up barricades. But she may think I'm playing with her. Or even become aggressive with me if I react repeatedly. She can easily jump over anything or even decide to take a seat in this area. So, did the cats fall under the category of a tawafin? I think this was mentioned before. This is a very good question, right? Tawafin means those that are making tawaf of you, they're always around you, that's why they're pure and they always go as where they want to and it's a very relaxed scenario. So how far do you go? The answer is, is that you are only required to go for as far as much as that your prayer is not being ruined. So exactly like she says, once or twice, and if the cat is not getting it and it's seeing as a play, then you let it then go. Because now the evil or the, 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 the consequence of trying to stop is now becoming far worse than just leaving it alone. If it happens as a habit all the time, then the person's got to take any more remedial action. Not pray in that room, take the cat out, etc. etc. Is it dislike to yawn in the prayer? I feel like I've heard of this before, but not sure. We're going to cover that later, but the answer is that if you intentionally yawn and do not suppress it, then yes, this is disliked. Correct. Is one allowed to make wudu in the shower? I know we talked about how just taking a shower doesn't count as wudu by default but curious about one going through the actions. Yes, one is allowed. One, it is sunnah actually to make yani, because uh, shower is just ghusl. That's what we call, yeah, that's a new name for ghusl. Yeah? 
and the wudu is meant to happen before you make the ghusl. So a person would enter after making a stinjakli in their private parts, enter into their bathroom or into their shower uh, tray. They would make the full wudu other than washing their feet. Then they would then pour the water over their head three times and then have their normal shower that they would, which would be shampoo, blah, blah, blah. Rinse the water off and then the last act you would do is to wash your feet. This would be the perfect ghusl that contains shower plus wudu. Okay, and we've done that before in the early chapters. You'll find it on the video. Is there an LP retreat next year? Ashazad Salim, because the guy just yeah, he doesn't care about the sisters anymore. He doesn't care about the sisters. Yeah, yeah. I pull the plug. Absolutely correct. You see that? Did you feel that dard in his pain? You felt that, isn't it? Absolutely boycotted. We put all the effort in and we organized, and then the sisters came and cancelled it in the end. Oh my God, Zafar, Zafar said, I'm a witness to this. You know when the two quiet boys speak up like that, you know there's some real dard there. Proper dard. Oof, oof. The space for the prayer, the, pra- the space for the pair and prayer and the preferred opinion, does that mean a smaller person has a smaller, has a, does that mean it has a smaller person than a big one? Oh, no, there's that sentence, man. What the heck? And that's the irony. It's the worst sentence in human history, but we all know exactly what he means. So, Yes, obviously, the person who is smaller has a smaller space. Correct. It's true. All right. Isn't it prohibited? It is, of course, it's prohibited. It's prohibited, but that doesn't justify you crossing him. Common scenario is when someone else uses you as a sutra. How do you get up without crossing? This is good. If you are in front of a person, are you obliged to stay where you are? You see people do that. Yeah? Answer is no. Because if you are in front of a person, you walk off, you're not crossing that person. You are moving off from being in front of that person. Is that clear? Yeah? Right, but it would need you to kind of do the whole, yeah, not the whole, yeah. So, what if you were to put an object in front of you so people can pass? That's exactly what you do. What do you mean? I still can you still pass them, Zahra? That's exactly what you're meant to do. The sutra is an object that you put in front of you to encourage people to pass by, by, in front of the object that you've put. That's the whole point of the sutra. Is there strong reasoning as to why so many people pray their sunnah in the masjid and therefore block people from getting out? You see, this is what I like. Rehan has got to the real issue here. The problem is caused by the people. This should not be a problem. We've already spoken before that when we're praying in a congregation, there's no sutra for any person, there's no crossing for any person except for the imam. So everybody can come and go as they please. There's no emergencies, there's no blockings, there's no nothing. Who are the people who cause all these flipping problems? The people who do not follow the sunnah. And they're praying their sunnah in the masjid. The masjid is not for your sunnah. The masjid is for obligatory prayers. Go home and pray your sunnah there. You get my point now? So these are the people who cause all the problems. So if they were praying their sunnah at home, you're not blocking anybody. SubhanAllah. That's what really irritates me about the people who say, ah, oh, he's blocking me this, this, that, we've got to now, we have a reason. No, we've got to get to the core of the problem. Once you start building upon this and allowing them concessions, and that is what the problem is by scholars who say, ah, oh, okay, it's too busy, let it go. No, we've got to deal with the busyness. Yeah. 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 No, no, I don't think you can walk in front of that person. No, no, so, sorry, you're asking something different. You're saying that if the uh, Imam's sutra is a sutra for everybody and you can walk in between the lines, what about that person? That only applies for when the prayer is active. Once the prayer finishes, everyone then resumes their own prayer zone. So that guy who's praying late, catching up, he has his own prayer zone back again. Yeah? Um, 
Is a moving sutra allowed? For example, a person wants to pass a praying person, so will use their handbag in front of them and then pass by. What, 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 what? For example. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sick. Sick. That's Crystal Maze behavior, by the way. Have you guys played Crystal Maze? Yeah, the actual thing. Yeah? In one of them, you've got to do that. You know, you, you can't step on the thing, so you've got to get something else to put it there so that you can step on it, and then you pick it up so that you can use it to then step on something else. So you use it to there, you get on it, then you pick it up and you carry on with it. That's exactly what they're saying. So you, as you're walking by, you block their thing, and then you cross by, and then you reach back, and then you pull your thing back. It is sick. But is it allowed? Because? So if, you, if I say to you, if, if a person was to put a sutra down for another person, would that sutra be sufficient for that person? <coughs> yeah, we did say it's recommended, but he should, it should stay there. Huh? Yeah, but we said that taking away something is not crossing. <laughs> yeah, I can't find how this is permissible. I don't find how it's permissible. Yes, because... Actually, I've just realized, you know, I don't know why I listen to people. Yeah, I and mean, this is the problem when you just let the thing go through. It doesn't, this, this scenario doesn't make sense, by the way. If you think about it, it's, 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 it's a paradox. It's one of those riddles that doesn't make sense. No. No. A sutra, what is the minimum distance for the sutra? sutra? Which is in the distance for you to walk past him anyway. Huh? But then that's not a sutra then, is it? Do you agree? Agree or not? Yeah? Makes sense what I'm saying. I knew that, by the way, but I, I just thought I'd play along. Ijlal. Wa alaikum salam. Chief's not here, man. Can you please answer the question regarding the jama'ah? Once there is a wide gap in front of you, is there a preference in joining the person on left or right? What does that mean in joining the person on left or right? What does that mean? Ijlal, you ask questions which don't make any sense. First of all, if there's a gap in front of you, you've got to move forward and fill it. Yes. But what does it mean left or right? Also, is there a reality to reciting specific surahs after each salah? No. There is not, there's no basis for uh, these surahs that you say, Yasin. But is there a sunnah to recite, for example, Surah Atin uh, uh, in Maghrib and Surah Zalzala in Isha and Surah Al-A'la in Jum'ah? Yes, there is. So according to the hadith, it's fine. Right, Solange says you can train your cat apparently to stay off the prayer place. So, all right, we'll take that. Flu vaccine which causes, contains pork gelatin is not allowed. No, I have an article on that. Just Google that. Sometimes the handbag doesn't even touch the floor. That's a madness, isn't it? That's a madness. The handbag doesn't even touch the floor. It's like, literally like, it's like, it's like, a, it's like she's, playing, she's playing tennis basically with this thing. You just block that kind of thing and move on. All right, folks, that was the longest lesson in human history, by the way.
Like, I don't know what happened. But the good thing is, is that we have got so much cake to make up for it. Alhamdulillah. For Jazakumullah Khair. London next week, so don't come, uh, you know, nice to Christmas, your day off, enjoy the, the, the evening TV. Okay? Which I, in the, at the time of the dars, it's the Queen's speech, as, as Jeremy Corbyn said, miskeen. So, you can watch the good TV in the evening. Huh? What happened last week? Oh, forget that, Yara. You know, by the way, I'm so glad. Exactly. I am so glad it wasn't closed. Otherwise, this guy would have been lynched. Can you imagine? No, yeah, well, that's, that's in Berry. Can you imagine if it was 50 votes here? We find 50 Pakis here who did the Baradiri politics and voted for the guy. There'd be blood. But I was so happy there was like 5,000 or something. 2,000? There's not even 2,000 Muslims. Huh? There wasn't even 2,000 Muslims. How much, how much did Labour candidate get? 7,000? Seven, 7, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Oh, it would have made it. No, no, it wouldn't. The people who voted Labour weren't all Muslim. Yeah. There's not even 2,000 Muslim votes in Chido. 7,000. 7,000 Muslims in Chido. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika shahadu wa la ilaha ilaha tastaghfirukallah wa atubu alaikum salam wa alaikum wa rahmatullah London blah 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 and cake for everybody else thank you